0: www.bottlenecktobreakthrough.com. Welcome to the Real Bottom Line, the podcast for entrepreneurs who want to grow the value of their business. Today, we are talking to Jesse Adams, the founder of Ember Experience, a company that helps organizations build great culture through psychological safety, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and navigating uncomfortable conversations. A great culture can make your company more productive, feel great to work at, provide more freedom. Your company has a culture, whether you're being intentional about it or not. And so we're gonna talk a bit about more of that with Jesse. This is The Real Bottom Line, where we tell
1: entrepreneurial stories about true grit and perseverance from frontline business owners
0: themselves. Now, let's get started welcome to the real bottom line the podcast for entrepreneurs who want to grow the value of their business today we are talking to jesse adams the founder of ember experience a company that helps organizations build great culture through psychological safety diversity equity and inclusion and navigating uncomfortable conversations a great culture can make your company more productive feel great to work at provide more freedom your company has a culture whether you're being intentional about it or not and so we're going to talk a bit about more of that with jesse jesse welcome
1: thanks for having me looking forward to the conversation
0: i'm so excited i love talking about corporate culture i think it's one of those things that sometimes doesn't get enough attention because you know it is a little more ethereal if you will or something in our head or something we perceive. It's not something that there's a, you walk in the door and there's a sign that says, the culture is this. And sometimes it does say that, but maybe it's not true. So (laughs) what are the determinants of a good corporate culture and why, when I'm a business owner, should I care?
1: You know, really good questions. And I I I have a problem with doing this sometimes, but you said something really curious around like putting our hands around culture Would it be cool if I just like put a bit of a frame on that to then help define what it would be?
0: Yeah.
1: Awesome. Awesome. So you're, you're entirely right that often even when working inside of organizations and helping to get a sense of how it's defined, we use the analogy you sort of talked about. It's the feel you have when you come into the space. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's very aligned to the things on the wall. Sometimes it's not, but it's that, you know, when I open the door and walk in, do I feel heavier or do I feel lighter? Whatever it is. um, And I think of, you know, we, whether you like it or not, I always give an analogy of Disney does kind of a good job at creating this feel where whether you're watching a movie, you're at Disney World, you're at one of the stores in the mall, it's all magical and anything can happen. And that's the feel you have when you walk yeah. into the space. So often it, is, it can be that untangible. Um, however, the power of it is very, very significant. So when you talk about why does it matter? is whether you know it or not as an organization, when you start putting things on the wall, you're starting to say, this is what I am, or this is what I'm striving to. And what you're really doing is you're creating a social contract with your staff. So if you say you put a value up on the wall of integrity, you've now said, we believe in integrity. And that means from a social contract perspective, the actions and behaviors and initiatives that we do are gonna move us towards being an organization with integrity. And when, the individuals that are experiencing that space might observe behaviors that don't feel like they align to it. It can start to create friction or breaks in that social contract where often the employees might feel, oh, it's toxic to work here. Meanwhile, all the values on the wall are about integrity, respect, commitment, whatever the words might be. And so for us and the work we do, we really help to try to close the gap between those things and say, hey, do you know you said integrity is." We care about that, but the behaviors that people are observing and experiencing might be different. And what we find is the larger the gap might be between what you say you are versus the experiences people are having, the more risk there can be for things like psychological health and safety, disengagement, productivity challenges, ineffective processes, all these types of things. Whereas the closer we are to the, to the experiences, to what we say we are, the more thriving the organization can typically be. And the last thing I'll just mention with that is that it's not always about maintaining this altruistic idea of what a culture should be. It's about being honest to the current realities. So if you, again, if you start saying mental health matters and all the behaviors aren't really supporting that, or not honest as to where we are on the continuum of building mental health within our organization, it can create a disconnect. And I often will say to leaders, like, If we're not gonna be very intentional with our feedback, with how we show up to space, we might as well say, listen, I don't care about mental health. I don't really care about you, you're just an asset that we can utilize to be a productive workplace. And then actually people know what social contract they're agreeing to, as opposed to this disconnect or dissonance that can happen when you're like, I don't even know, and it actually becomes more harmful for the employee and even more frustrating for the leaders when we're not kind of being honest about the realities that we're currently facing.
0: Jesse, that was amazing. It, it, I love that term, social contract with staff. And in my head, I went to bait and switch. Meaning, you know, <laughs> when we're in a job interview with somebody, we're telling them how great we are. We're sending them the copy of the thing that's on the wall. And that's what they're buying into. And what you're saying is if it doesn't match the experience, that's when all these not great things can happen and it's detrimental to the to the company.
1: 100%, yeah. And I think it's, it, it's not only within organizations, it's within our community, it's when you purchase product, there's a certain attachment we've put to anything that we engage in. And the most humorous part I find is no matter how much we strive to be an intellectualized society and even run our organizations intellectually and logically through meaningful metrics and business decisions, ultimately it still boils down to feelings and emotions at the most part for for our leaders and you know i think about you know even when previous lives i used to really focus on building business cases and ultimately the business case was there to create an emotional reaction for the leader to want to foster some type of change so it's still you're still at the end of the day trying to tap into emotions how you get there might be different and so i think it's ultimately that is that to ignore feelings is really to ignore ignore the driving force of what often has employees showing up in the way they do, creates buying decisions within your customer base, whatever it is. And so for us, it's about bringing that inside of the workplace and helping to figure out how do we create those connections and maximize the effectiveness of our organization.
0: You have a quote on your website, which I think kind of encapsulates that and maybe can serve as a jumping point off for our next discussion. But in the past, jobs were about muscles. Now they're about brains. But in the future, they'll be about the heart, hmm. and that is a quote from the director of the London School of Economics. <laughs> yeah. Does it kind of encapsulate what we just talked about? And is there something else you'd like to add to that?
1: Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it 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 does really well encapsulate it. I also think it highlights some challenge in that a lot of the ways in which we define the workplace experience, whether it's productivity, even leadership approaches. Um, has been built off of when we used to use muscles as our primary mode of creating outputs. And so, again, you think about the manufacturing line, time, it made sense to be tracking time and ensuring someone was actually at their location of the line to produce the widget that needed to produce it, that because that's how it equal. Where we're finding the workplace right now is not so much one plus one equals two relating to outputs of employees. And so I think it speaks to the growing complexities that we're seeing inside of organizations, where whether it's HR or even if you're a small business owner, the work I and you know, just friends, colleagues, you know, peer mentors, the thing that seems to create the most pain is not so much the technical thing that they try to support the organization with. You know, people say, "Oh, I can do electrical uh, infrastructure all day." human being problems, that's a whole other thing. It takes 90%. Of money. <laughs> and so it, I think it just speaks to, again, that even within inside of the organization as leaders, it's no longer, you know, show up to the workplace, leave all your baggage at the door yeah. and just come here and do a function for me and then pick up your baggage and go back home. No, everyone's bringing their entire suitcase and all that into the office with them.
0: Sometimes the trunk.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, the tr- exactly. And now the leaders left to figure out how to navigate that. And I can have a lot of compassion for um, entrepreneurs who have built their businesses often in a space of like high expertise in in technical delivery and perhaps have not had the space to build leadership skills or what we call like human skills, Um, not so much soft skills, which, you know, you said earlier around diminishing, even the, the conversation around culture, I think has been that in that it is uncomfortable. We often don't want to explore hard feelings and that kind of stuff. And so we diminish it a little bit when really we're talking about human skills and how you you know, work as a human being yourself and then support human beings around you is really what we focus in on.
0: It feels like you're talking a lot about emotional intelligence versus IQ, if you will. Yeah. I- I think of that um, in my field as a financial advisor sometimes people talk about rates of return a lot, but I think it's so much more than that I you know i'm trying to unpack a trunk so that they can build more assets. (laughs) So and build more of that stuff so you know is that the evolution, the evolution is going into we need to develop some of our eq skills emotional intelligence.
1: yeah yeah we've had some really interesting conversations about this inside of our organization is that you know, for when I started in the space, uh, wellness was the term that was often used. And typically it was talking about physical related wellness. Mm -hmm. Then it started to evolve into ideas around mental health and even concepts of like what's called total health, where you're looking at the whole person. And Mm -hmm. now what we're really seeing is when we even relate to mental health, we're actually talking about emotions and feelings. It's not, that's, that's really what we're talking about is the discomfort you might feel personally when in a conversation or listening to feedback. And so 100% uh, emotional intelligence is a critical element as well as you know um, skills like compassion, um, setting boundaries. Um, we do a lot of work of how we can listen and hold space for someone's feedback and not necessarily absorb all of it. And I know it can sound really airy in a way, But I find within leadership particularly, often most leaders start from a position of care where they care deeply about their organization, their people inside of the organization. And sometimes the behaviors we do don't always line up to that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so what can happen is if I'm an employee and I've come to you and expressed some type of dissatisfaction I've had about what happened, we can take that really personally as it's a comment on who I am as a person, as opposed to maybe something I did. And so when we talk about compassion and creating space, it's about recognizing that I might have done something that was incongruent to who I try to be every day. That doesn't necessarily mean it's a comment on who I am as an individual. And so for me, I constantly am making mistakes, even though we spend our night and days on psychological safety, diversity, equity, inclusion, I'm constantly stepping in it and needing to reconcile with my own biases and privileges of like, oh, shoot, I made that mistake. That wasn't what I meant to do. Because yeah. for me, I strive to be someone who finds ways to amplify others, and that doesn't always line up. Because maybe I don't have capacity. Maybe I don't know. I haven't learned that skill yet, or perhaps I'm just have a total blind spot to it. Mm-hmm. And and so that emotional intelligence is about you know being aware and even perhaps start allowing yourself to again not take everything so personally, where it's an attack on you. And if I'm being 100% honest with it, I find as white males, we can really struggle with that, where we get defensive and, and perhaps feel insecure about even talking about emotions, let, let alone feeling them ourselves.
0: Well, I think that there's so there's a lot to unpack with that. I We'll have to maybe do another podcast on that one. Jesse. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, it's a whole other thing. Yeah, it's a whole um, other thing.
0: I am curious about the term psychological safety. Sure. Right? It feels um it feels like something I need to know as a leader. Can you and I know you've talked a little bit around it today or even some direct things, but let's let's go what is it? Sure. And how do I how do I use it?
1: Yeah, and it's and it's evolving conversation. Um so there's elements that are very structural and system-based in terms of the things like policies and processes and procedures and and reporting elements like that. And then there's cultural components. Ultimately, what we're talking about is, is creating a space where someone feels heard, welcomed, valued, and that they can challenge the status quo without fear of repercussion. So when we think about you know coming to work, it's not that I'm worried about if I make a mistake that my leader is going to come down on me and my job might be in jeopardy. Right. It's really about allowing us to be in that. And because I know for me, I played high performance sport. And I often give an analogy to, to leaders. At some point of y'all might have been benched, even though we were thought we were whatever, had whatever skill. And it's like when for me, when I was playing hockey, if I felt like I was on a real tough streak, if I had a, a coach that would bench me, the stick got tighter and all of a sudden the mistakes started increasing more and more and more yeah. versus one that created some space allowed me to work through it a little bit. Then all of a sudden you get back in your flow. And, and that's really what we're talking about. When you're thinking about the workplace is that again that feel um where ultimately when those things are occurring we're finding more and more research that is the number one factor that creates an effective team uh, inside of an organization is one that's psychologically safe there's a large research project out of google it's called the Aristotle project mm-hmm. uh, where that was identified as the number one factor for team performance was psychological safety of, of their team
0: how do so how do I do that? How do I make someone feel heard, welcomed? Because it feels like you're right, it's tied to cultural. But yes. you also talked about structure policies and procedures. So what what do I need in that regards? Or what I what should I be thinking about from that from the structural point of view? On sure.
1: That? Yeah, I think the structures are great. It, it The challenge becomes is that we can have all the infrastructures in place. But if our culture doesn't allow that to be normal, then it doesn't, it becomes ineffective. So what I would mean by that, if say, for example, within our, our, our organization, mental health is not something we can talk about. I might have all the supports available. I might even said as a leader, hey, my door's always open, come talk to me about what anything you want. If the norm isn't like accessing that without judgment, then I'm not gonna do it. And so what that's where you start to create lack of safety is when pain is being felt or concerns are being experienced and we're not able to talk about it so culture of silence is a huge detractor toxicity within the culture is a huge detractor so when you have leaders that again maybe suppress feedback instead of listening to it because it's possible that you could have an experience and mine could be totally different and so just listening to your experience as a leader is one of the most critical ways in which you can foster psychological safety is be is, is really we use the phrase often like be approach the conversation with curiosity as opposed to judgment
0: uh what i'm also picking up here is as leaders we need to model oh
1: yeah it starts it starts with us it starts 100 with us it's and and what i will say to that and why i kind of avoided the systems and structures element a little bit because there's resources that we can i could refer you to afterwards i called like one of the most uh guiding elements even in the world it was developed by the CSA, the Canadian uh, Safety Association, as the national standard. It's a massive document; it's it's substantive, and and you know, for our audience and, and most organizations, even huge ones, implementing it is not realistic. Right. Um, what is realistic is thinking about what we do as individuals, particularly as leaders. And sometimes when we work inside of organizations, we would ask the question, like, "What are you doing for psychological health and safety?" And the first thing that we mentioned is about a strategy or a committee or, you know, some mental health training that's going on. And it's like, no, what are you doing yourself? And it's not like an organization initiative is not something you are doing or we are doing as individuals. And so that's that's the really the area I like to focus on is as individuals. What are we doing and taking responsibility for in that conversation?
0: That's amazing. I love it. Your business is making a profit, you're growing, but you may still feel like you don't fully have a grasp on how to make the best use of this success. Don't worry, you're not alone. Hi, I'm Wendy Brookhouse, creator of the Total Wealth Accelerator and host of this podcast. I've developed a quick and easy tool that will give you a detailed snapshot of where you're currently at in your business and wealth growth and how you can improve upon it. It's called your Financial Diagnostic Score. It's completely free and you'll instantly get the results. So head over to TotalWealthScore.com right now and see where you can focus to grow your wealth. It's about learning perhaps a new way of having conversations. (laughs) It's a new way of of pulling the answers that we need that will help the company, will help us, will help the employee potentially as well grow. Mm -hmm. So it feels like you have to learn from yourself first.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of learning and self-exploration that needs to occur for sure um i know for me personally like last year as i said i strive to show up with values every day and i got a bit distracted on some other things and i started getting some information back from staff saying you know this was my experience i was feeling hard or i was feeling marginalized or i was feeling suppressed in my voice and also i was like whoa and it was hard information to process for me in and it wasn't until I started doing that self-work that where you can actually recognize like the deep gift that there is within that feedback where these people cared enough to give me information, knowing how important it is to live up to my values. They're holding me accountable and saying, I understand this is what you're striving for. I want you to know my experience a little different. So how do we work towards that? And it's also okay to, again, ask questions back and share a differing experience, but that self-work is, is substantive because it can be really shame inducing, really feel really embarrassing, you know, hopeless, like a whole, all the words that can be really demotivating um, to process through. Um, so again, I come back to that idea of curiosity is such a, a big component. And when within a psychologically safe place, like as a practical tool for a leader, just acknowledging someone's experience doesn't, always, doesn't mean I agree with you. So if you're again, coming and sharing a story, I can say, I could see that'd be really hard for you. you know, tell me more about that. That doesn't mean I, I, I think what conclusion you've made is, is true. You're just saying based on the story that, is it, is that we're experiencing, it's understandable how you could be feeling that pain about it. And so you're just being curious as to what's going on there. And I think too often we shy away from validating someone to disprove why their point of view is right or, or wrong and why we're right. And that often, again, where we start to create a lack of safety within an organization.
0: You're making me think that it's t- a lot of this can be tied up in ego, and that um, <laughs> yeah. right if there's is there if there's a methodology to check your ego at the door prior to engaging in these curious conversations, sure. I think um, because yeah, if we're going into a conversation to be right, yeah, then I'm not sure that we're going to get the outcome we want.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. And and what's also important to recognize is choosing to go into a conversation to be right is a choice you can make, like that's okay. If that's the choice you wanna have and that's what's most important to you, then that's an okay choice to make. It may not be a very good one, may not help your organization and whatnot. I think sometimes even again, where that self-work can be helpful is having compassion for ourselves in that we can feel stuck, particularly as like senior people, you can feel like I've got no place to move. I've, I've gotta do this, I gotta do that, I gotta do this. And recognizing that at the end of the day, we are making choices and we have the ability to make a choice to say yes to things and to say no to things. What I like to try to do around you know things like values and whatnot is recognize that it's about every behavior I do is moving me towards or away from the thing I say I care about or as an organization, the stuff that's on the wall. And if at the end of the year, I can be 51% in favor or my behaviors and issues add up, then you can confidently say, hey, I'm someone who strives to be that. Now, obviously, we might want it more, but... Too often, we have such a binary, which does create that that ego defense where our ego might fire off to be defensive, to protect our own identity. And just being aware of those decisions and say, you know what, it's a continuum. This mm-hmm. year, I was 60%. Next year, I want to try to be 70% or whatever, I think is, is where it can become disarming. And, and we can, again, create such self-judgment. And you know, imagine you were to put the conversation that's going on in your own head, outwardly to another human being. <laughs> like you wouldn't have very many people around around you to to hang out with. So like, not only is it about supporting others, but also like supporting ourselves and having some compassion for ourselves. And that, and that's where I find that ego comes in because it's a defense mechanism. Because if someone gives us hard information, our ego might protect us from that because we can't handle it. And and that's, I'm not saying that with judgment. I'm saying that as like, that's how we're built to survive. Mm -hmm. So we can be aware of it and even say to our ego, thanks for letting me know. I'm going to be okay on this one. And I <laughs> navigate forward it. You, you're really just, you're. that's really why I say it's human skills and acknowledging that a lot of us have a very similar experience and are dealing with a lot of the same shit. And it's just, how do we navigate and, and sort through it? And I think that's where that humility, that vulnerability, the honesty can be so helpful inside of organizations where, again, thinking about psychological safety and what I said earlier around being honest as to where we are, we can try to curate a story because we're, we're fearful of how others might receive it around us, whether it's our staff, as opposed to trusting the relationship or their ability to handle it. And in many ways, it creates that sense inside of organizations where there's a lack, perceived lack of transparency or inauthenticity and like challenge amongst the leadership employee dynamics, as opposed to, you know, being vulnerable and sharing, maybe you know, not, you know, all of the tickle trunk, but at least some of it to connect with your people.
0: The question that comes up for me now is, all right, I have, it feels like these conversations may require a greater investment in time to get to the other end of them in a different way. Uh. Is there a way to go faster? Like, you know what I mean? Do you get shortcuts over time? Do you, you know, like if you have something, I just have to, I have to get this behavior changed as a leader, or I'd like to have this behavior change. This outcome didn't work, whatever. Like, what are your thoughts on that?
1: So yeah, there's always like shortcuts. Again, I come back to it doesn't mean necessarily it's a very good shortcut yeah. or, or very good decision. You know, obviously, there would be some time efficiencies as you become more skilled at navigating hard conversations, both in processing yourself as well as helping others yeah. uh, process it. In terms of the work, yeah, there's not really. It's kind of like if you would apply it to like any other type of um, thing within your business. Sure, there's always ways in which you can source cheaper material or create efficiencies, some which still support a quality product, some which start to go into a, a product that's not as quality. And so I think it's really about, again, coming back to cost benefits. So I hear that phrase a lot with leaders like, oh, I don't want to get into a coaching conversation because it takes time. I got to spend 30 minutes up front. And when we actually start breaking down like the cost benefits of each, yep. it starts to become pretty pretty overwhelming the benefits that can be had when you take that 30 minutes up front. Cause let's just say, you know, you're working with a leader. What happens a lot of times is maybe we're a little bit more direct or a little bit more short minded with giving the information. And then the work product comes and there's an error and a misunderstanding and you gotta go back and rework and rework and it ends up being that the 30 minutes that you could have spent up front that you didn't have time for becomes like five ten hours later on and then what ends up happening is you get into a firefighting sequence mm. where everything you're just responding to the fire in front of you because the first fire you didn't effectively take the time to sort through mm-hmm. and so now you're jumping in so every fire just keeps coming up and you only have time to deal with it once it becomes a fire and mm. I see that happening both from a ineffective communication while also, we're not taking time to coach and build skill, Everything, all the all the stuff ends up getting put on you as the leader. And what can happen is like, I have an employee come with me with a problem and I take that bucket of water from them. And now all of a sudden the next employee comes and I take that bucket of water. Now all of a sudden I'm carrying 15 buckets of water that and your employees are on the side saying, well, there's, you're just gonna do the work anyways. And what's funny is you get a narrative where the leader says, my staff don't take any ownership and responsibility. And then my employees, the employees saying that my my leader's micromanaging. It doesn't allow me to be empowered and take action. so both are dissatisfied. When meanwhile, it started off of like a leader doing something out of care to help mm-hmm. but really taking people's buckets of water that weren't his in the first place or hers in the first place to take.
0: yeah.
1: it could have, through an effective coaching conversation, empowered the other person, built their skills and competency. And meanwhile, you're now able to focus on what it is that you want to focus on. And you're not just firefighting all the things.
0: Firefighting bad. Is there a recommended rhythm of, we call them strategy meetings slash coaching meetings that we should be doing with our employees so that, you know, we're, we're doing that almost, I guess we're planting seeds, if you will, them yeah. to harvest. Do you have a recommendation on that? yeah i guess
1: like you, you have your structured ones i mean depending on your team size and whatnot like somewhere between it once a week to once a month would be a maybe a more structural former one mm-hmm. um and then i would encourage just you know where you can have things in between that because it's those little interactions what they become are deposits in an emotional bank account and so if you use the analogy as like finances our relationship is a bank account that is constantly increasing and decreasing based off the actions I'm doing every day. And so if I'm not being actively aware as to what I'm doing to deposit in your bank account, Mm -hmm. when I go to seek a loan from you, which might be asking you to stay late or do something you don't really want to do or have have some willingness to understand my perspective when I made a mistake, if my bank account with you is at a negative balance, it's just like when you go to get a loan after having a mortgage, the likelihood of the bank giving you a loan is pretty limited. And the same thing happens within our relationship. So where we talk about being aware of how you're depositing in that account,
0: yeah.
1: that often comes from those those organic interactions, not just the you know structured day to day. It's it's the you know what do you like on your pizza, all that kind of stuff. Um, so really, it's just about getting to know. And, and I heard some great coaching around just get one level deeper with your employee than any other leader has before. And it might vary depending on, again, the relationship you have with them. But when you start to know who they are as a human being beyond just the function they do, those types of things build the bank account. Because as leaders, we are going to perhaps at times unintentionally, but we may also uh, intentionally withdraw from the bank accounts of our team, where we need to make a decision in the best interest of our organization. And that's where it's just so critical. And the last thing I'll say on it, it's just the way our human brains are wired is that it's typically like a one to four and depending on the research, so even a one to eight ratio. So meaning I got to do four positive things to equal one negative. So if I go, good job, good job, good job, good job. And I say, oh, you did, didn't do this very well. Our brains are kind of wired to associate ourselves with the negative. Yeah. And so we end, so it's you're constantly in an uphill battle, like battle, which again, being open to feedback, understanding experience is so critical in building those bank balances with people.
0: Final question I want to ask about culture is around the new the new way. Even though some organizations did this before, but we, we're with a hybrid work organization. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe you're working some at home and some in the office, or maybe it's completely dispersed. How I I would think think that culture is even more critical. However, how do I go about is there some techniques that I can use to foster my a culture, even though I may never lay eyes face to face with somebody?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, for me, I, I kind of go the other way where for I have a number, we had a number of employees where I hadn't actually met them in person because it all was hired <laughs> remotely. and. Um, for me, my team right now is we've got people in Ontario, people in Alberta, some in Halifax, so we're kind of dispersed all over. I think first and foremost is, is actually defining the uh, behaviors and words that are, are meaning. So, f- for example, some organizations um, really focus on connection. Mm-hmm. Depending on what connection means, it can I can be wanting different things. Some organizations' connection is about being in the same physical space. others is about the amount of time i interact Mm -hmm. um so really defining like the word and so we have clear expectations as to like when we have a team meeting this is something that we can anchor into connection so just getting clear into how we're going to live that culture how how we're going to live the values that support the culture i think are really important um to do you know we run into this ourselves where it's such a transactional experience where you jump on a call, you're kind of jumping into the the next thing. And then you have a call right back to the, you know, right back against you as you go to your next appointment where you can create some check-in space, you know, at the beginning, um, is a real important piece where again, you're giving space for people to get to know one another, recognizing that we might have some biases Mm -hmm. around even productivity that I mentioned at the very beginning in terms of like, you know, I, I'm looking on my teams is like, are people's bubbles yellow or green? And like, you can get really into because we might be built off the idea that unless they're sitting in the seat, they're not productive. Mm. So recognizing that, you know, that that's going to look different for different people. For me, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, from around 1150 to 120 in the afternoon, I have it blocked off because the team knows I go play hockey at lunch every day. Yeah. And so doing things like that where you're creating the freedom and trust within your culture to again create understanding because what what flexibility looks like could be different. I have three kids who are under five. I have some team members that have no kids. And so the times of day that they can work are different and and all that kind of stuff. Right.
0: I, uh, I think it's so important to have those conversations and connections. How uh, do people get a hold of you, Jesse? Where can they read some of the works and thought you put together into into these uh, issues?
1: Yeah, thanks for asking. So they can email me at jesse at at emberexperience.ca. They can find our website uh, at www.emberexperience.ca. If you're looking for content and whatnot, I would encourage you to check us out on LinkedIn. Mm. Uh, We're constantly posting and, and what we're doing there is just about to create conversation. Um, Once a month, I do a blog called Stoke Session, which is really about me exploring, you know, some of the vulnerabilities, honesties, and challenges I have and and programming and discomforts as uh, being a leader and navigating those. Um, It's been a really interesting blog, and we got some good feedback on that. We also post, you know, podcasts we're listening to, Mm. um, content that we're reading. Um, It's really just about a, a form to help create conversation in the space of, of workplace connections and culture. Um, those would be the, the two primary ways that obviously you can track me down on LinkedIn uh, as well. So yeah, it was great. Thank you so much yes, for having this me.
0: This was a great conversation about culture. And I think the real bottom line here is it's, it's all about one conversation at a time.
1: <laughs> definitely, definitely, definitely. Thanks so much.
0: Wow, there was just so much learning in this episode. Do you want more? I have a special offer for the right entrepreneur. A complimentary one-on-one coaching session that is all about you, your business and your goals so that you can accelerate your business and start to accelerate the growth of your net worth. Head over to wealthcoachwithwendy.com. There you will find a letter that kind of outlines all the details of this offer and also an application form. We have an application form because there's such a limited number of, of slots that we're opening up for this that we want to make sure that the people that um, uh, do are successful in getting the slot, we can make the biggest difference with. So head over to wealthcoachingwithwendy.com and apply today. Thanks.